passage of scripture really hits home for a lot of us when we think about the day in which we live, and uh, we mentioned that quite a bit, but you know, the Lord has spoken to the modern man. Uh, there's people that think about, well, is the Bible still relevant? Can I tell you, it's, it's as relevant as it's ever been. I mean, it's relevant for back then in the days of Noah, just as much as it is in the days of David, or is it the days of the Apostle Paul, or even in our day, the Bible's always been relevant, and uh, it just speaks to us right where we are, and we know that God still has a plan, and He's still working out that plan, and one day we'll be home with Him in glory, and, and, and He'll, I don't know if He'll unfold it or not for us and explain to us. There's a lot of people to say, well, I wish I knew, I wish I knew what exactly God was doing in this certain circumstance and what He was doing in that situation. I don't know if we'll really want to know. Uh, but anyway, we do know that God will bring everything under His control. He will put down unrighteousness. It will be a perfect day in glory one day uh, when we see our Savior's face. Psalm 12 uh, is, uh, again, just very familiar to the day in which we live. The Bible says this, help, Lord. I mean, it's interesting how he begins just his petition right away. Help, Lord. It's like Peter, when he's sinking underneath and he, he's walking out on the water, save me. You know, that's essentially what David is doing. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, every one with his neighbor, with flattering lips, and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips, and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Who have said with our tongue, we will prevail, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? I mean, they're just really standing in opposition to the God, challenging him and saying, God, we don't, we don't need your God. We, we know what we're doing, and we're going to prevail I don't care what you godly men say. I don't care what you're trying to do. So this kind of a defiance that we see in their attitude. In verse 5, For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. You see him again, once, number, verse 4, he's, he's uh, verse 5, I think, it, yeah, verse 5, or 3, I'm sorry. I'll get it right. Verse 3, he's dealing with a flattering tongue. Verse 6, or verse 5, I'm sorry, he arises to meet the need of the, the needy. He says, I'll set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. Verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words, the silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou, wilt, thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. When the vilest men are exalted, let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray you would just help me to communicate the message uh, that you have here. Lord, it speaks very much to our day. All around, it seems like when you're looking for somebody that uh, loves the Bible as we do, it's getting harder and harder to find. More people want controversy. They're looking for debate. They want to deny your word. Lord, they're undermining the man of God. They're not respecting authority. This is the day in which we live, and you know it. We do pray that, as David has prayed, Lord, that you would cut off the flattering tongue. Lord, that you would save us from this wicked generation. Lord, that you would prevail. And Lord, I'm thankful for uh, the fact that you've allowed us to be here and to stand faithful for our generation, to stand up for truth and right. And Lord, may you just uh, raise up a generation, Lord, that will not not be... Uh, weak need, it won't uh, just bow down to everything that everybody says. Lord, but would you raise up a generation that will stand strong for the faith and uh, will be fully surrendered to you, that will 
not to allow the wicked to overrun them and step on them like a doormat, but stand up for truth and right. And Lord, this is what we need in our generation. Uh, people who just believe that there is a God and, and He's still as real as ever been and He still can, against all odds, prevail over the wicked. And so, Lord, again, may You raise up a generation that will be faithful, that will stand strong. Help us to be the generation even now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In our psalm tonight, we find David, he's in a day of decline. I don't really understand it a whole, whole lot because when we look at David, I tell you, uh, he is a man who has just really established righteousness in the day in which he had reigned. He was brought in the ark in Jerusalem and began to establish worship and restore the right ways of the Lord and just uplift, you know, by as only David could with all the wisdom and all the ways. And he got it by, from God, by the way. And it seems like when we look at the life of David, everything was great. And, of course, m much of the time we look at a day when it was perfect. But there came a time which David was looking at, and it seems like, seems like the wicked were prevailing. It seems like when men were speaking, they were speaking perversely, and they were undermining every, every person who was trying to do right and trying to live right and trying to uh, serve God and respect those in authority and praying for those in authority over them. And, and, and they were just trying to follow God, and yet all the while it seems like those who were trying to live for God, they were being undermined every step of the way. And there came a point in time where I believe even in like the day in which we live, it seems like when there ought to be people standing up, they were just allowing them to overrun them. And it's just sad to see when it's just when we, we of all people, we should have a voice. We who know that there is an absolute truth of what's right and what's wrong, we know that there is a God who established righteousness. He doesn't, he doesn't rejoice in sin. He doesn't rejoice in the things that are going on today. And just like in the days of David, it says, where, where, all are, where are all the godly people in this kingdom? Where are all the ones that whom the Lord has redeemed and set free and brought into this land, ones who, who, who should have a voice standing up for which is right? Where are they? Where are the people that know God's word? Where are the people that are living for God? Where are they? I'm looking around and I can't find any. It seems to be that's what David is thinking about when he is looking at his current situation. And you can really sympathize with what David is saying because I stand up as a young person and I say, where are all the godly? And it seems like they've ceased. And we're looking for somebody just to stand up and say, isn't there still a cause? It's almost as if you're reading the words of Jesus when he says, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on earth? And I'm, I'm like, where are they? Are there still people that believe God? Are there still people that believe that he can and he is able, he loves you, and, and he wants to work through you? That he still wants to reach this generation? That he still loves us? As it states in Matthew 24, verse 37, as in the days of Noah were, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And we recognize what the days of Noah were like. I mean, Noah, who preached for 120 years, day in, day out, uh, you know, Monday through, through Sunday, however you want to reckon your days, uh, seven days a week, 365 days a year, Noah was out there preaching and building this ark, and yet it seems like nobody's paying attention, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, God did preserve his man. I mean, him and his, his family. Eight souls got into that ark, and they were saved by the grace of God. But can I tell you, Noah was looking around, and he couldn't find any godly in his day. 
says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. That's our day. Lovers of their own selves, they will be despisers of those which are good, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Yeah, I mean, they look good on the outside. I mean, they might carry around a Bible. I mean, they might show up at a church service, but they don't believe it. They're not living for it. And they don't care the way that, I mean, they're, they're going around with the morals of the world. Where are the godly? And as we look around in our days, sometimes I hear people say, well, where are the days when people fear God? Where are the days when we didn't have to lock our doors? Where are the days when we didn't have to worry about putting our children in school? Where are the days where uh, you didn't have to worry about, uh, you know, the, the elderly getting beat up just for walking down the street? Just because somebody had a bad day. Where are the days where we didn't have to worry about drive-by shootings? Where are the days where America was strong? Where is the respect? Especially for God's word. David not only expressed his concern for lack of righteousness around him, but also for the decline of society. And as the church goes, so goes the society. And you heard me express this before. The reason why the morals are low as it is is because, you know, the church doesn't seem to have a voice very much. And, and, and so they're just giving in to all this wickedness. As the church goes, so goes the morals. But we have the words of God. It's not that we don't have them. We have the words of God. We know the will of God, but we need to be the people of God who's still speaking the words of God and still believe them. While lamenting a situation in which wickedness seems to prevail, the psalmist David also expresses his confidence in a God who never, never fails. You see him over and over again knowing that the Lord is going to answer as he cries out, Help, Lord! Lord, the Lord shall cut off all flattering lips. Uh, the Lord will arise. The Lord will keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation even forever. And he recognized there is a God who never fails. Uh, and he never failed any of his, his children. He's never failed in keeping his word. He's never failed in any of his promises. And David is counting on this God who never fails as he cries out unto them. The psalm is structured in such a way to contrast the proud words of, of, of men. It doesn't matter if it's in Noah's generation or in David's generation or our generation. Because we see, we see people all the time, I mean, uh, the gay pride parades, and we see people all the time promoting wickedness and uh, thinking about child trafficking, and we think about uh, other things that are going on, and people are speaking proud things, and they want to hold Christians in contempt. They're boasting of proud things, and we see the contrast between the, the words of the wicked and the words of the Lord. And they're very different. And we recognize that the words of the wicked, they are one day they're going to fail, they're going to fall flat, and they're going to, they're going to reach a place of failure. And when they stand before God, they're going to be sorry for those words they spoke. Because God's word will prevail over them. Let, let God be true, but every man a liar. So it contrasts the proud words of the wicked from the pure words of God. And uh, I, I truly get that God's word will not only be preserved, but they'll also prevail over the ungodly. If anyone gets the subject of Bible preservation, it's me. You know, I recognize it. Even when we look at scripture such as this in verses 6 and 7, I understand uh, Bible preservation. But it speaks more than just Bible preservation. It's speaking about uh, the godly men. It's speaking about God's word. It's speaking about God's work and judgment. It's speaking about all these things. 
And when you look at the subject alone, it's really amazing. It really is. But what gets me is verse 8 of our text. Verse 8, where it says, The wicked walk on every side. And when the vilest men are exalted. And I think to myself, how did they get exalted in the first place? I mean, it floors us sometimes. How, how does the wicked rule? How are people going to fall for the lies of the Antichrist? How, how do we get to such a position where it seems like the wicked, it doesn't more than seem like, it actually is where the wicked are prevailing and they're, they're their very own, the ones who are promoting this ideology are the ones who are in authority establishing the rules of the land. And I look at them and I say, what happened to the, you know, the godly people? Where are they? David, the shepherd boy, who once went to appear before a battle and he spotted his own brethren and he stood out and he saw a giant just speaking blasphemies and, and just putting down the people of God and putting down the God of heaven and earth and, and just railing against them, defying the, the, the God of the, the host, the Lord God of hosts, Lord God of the armies of Israel, the one who made the heavens and earth, defying them. David hears this, and, and he's upset about this, and he's looking around, and everybody on, on his own side, the Israelites, are fearing, and they're cowering, they're, they're, they're down and out, and, and David looks at his own brothers, and he says, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? There's a passage in the book of Ezekiel where it says, and I sought for a man, this is the Lord, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but here he is, he says, I found I found none. Where are the godly men? Maybe I shouldn't say this, but you know, I, you know, I, I don't know what the 60s were like. I'd have to ask Brother Harry about that. I don't know what the 70s was like. I might have to ask Suzanne about that. I have no clue about what happened back then. And quite frankly, I don't even care what happened back then. You know, the 80s were complicated enough. I grew up in a confused generation. Seems like when the turn of the 90s, or the 90s, which I'm very familiar with, you know, it seems like there was an, uh, just a, over, there was a promotion of rebellion like never before. You saw it in the music, you saw it on the TV screens, you saw it, every, I mean, everywhere that you look, you saw this rebellion and nobody was saying anything. I was listening a lot of, during that time, and you know, I was in various different things. I really didn't know what I was doing back then. I listened to country music and listened to rock and roll, and I was listening to rock, uh, rap music and all this other kind of stuff. And uh, there was this pr just prominent figure that stood out above all the rest, at least in my mind, and you would know who this guy is if I mentioned his name, Eminem. And he had this song that rose to the top of the charts, and he, he says, uh, will the real, and I'll just use the word, will the real Eminem please stand up? And I think to myself, will the real godly people, will the real Christians, will the real men of God, will the real people of faith, will they please stand up? And hopefully, again, hopefully Eminem will be a forgotten name. And I'm sure he will be. But it shouldn't be the case for the godly. In Psalm 107, verse 2, it says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. 
It's one of those verses, when I first got saved, the guy that led me to the Lord, it was one of the verses that he loved. And he would constantly, every single service, he would stand up after giving a testimony. And he says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And we would all say, amen. But you don't find too many. In the restaurants, I got upset one day. I was, uh, I forget where it was. It might have been a Chick-fil-A of all places. I think it was a Chick-fil-A. This has been several years ago, but it, I, I got upset. I had my little son there, Elijah, and my wife there, and I'm trying to get them seated. I had some food coming, and right next to us, I hear all this cussing and carrying on, and I got upset. And I told my wife, I said, you know, pray for me, because this is not going to be easy. I said, you know, either he's going to leave or we're going to leave. And it's strange to me that we all this cussing going on around our wives and our, 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 the ladies and around the children, and now it's commonplace that even the ladies are cussing. Even the children are cussing and carrying on because it's become acceptable. I believe David is looking for some godly people who would just stand up for the cause of Christ. Verse 8 says, The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. Why do we hold our tongues? And we say, well, we, you know, we got to be proper, propriety of our day. We, 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 we don't want to cause a stir. We're just trying to keep the peace. We're just trying to, uh, you know, we're, we're not trying to cause a scene. The wicked have no problem speaking out. I've, I've never seen it the case where, where every, every single wicked person that I've found, they have no problem in speaking what's on their mind and telling you what they think and, and how they feel. I mean, if you, if you were in telemarketing or if you were a customer service, you get that every single day. They are hardened in their sins. In many cases, Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, because sins against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart... Here it is, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. They, they harden their hearts like Pharaoh of old. It's like they, they become more rebellious. They become more stiffened in their heart, resilient against the words that you try to plead with them, you try to reason with them, you try to work with them, and you realize you're just not getting through the thick skull. They say, listen to me, there is a God, and one day you want to stand before him. But yet they're hardened. Who is God? We must remain faithful in this godless generation. It says in verse 1, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth. Here it is for the faithful. The faithful fail from among the children of men. The faithful have fell. I want to, probably want to blow my outline, but that's okay. I just want to look here, first of all, at the cause for intercession. David opens his prayer of intercession with one of the shortest you know, petitions found in Scripture. Again, help, Lord. Literally, save, Lord. Deliver, Lord. Sends out an SOS, a spiritual SOS up into heaven just um, to get the Lord's attention. And he knows that the Lord's going to hear. He knows that the Lord's going to respond. He's praying in faith. He recognizes that God is able. But as he witnesses the spiritual decline that's all around him, he begins to get down on his knees and he begins to cry out unto the Lord because of all the wickedness. Lord, these people need to be saved. These people need your word. These people need more godly men. 
These people need to see that there are faithful guys that can still stand up in this generation. We get to get down on his knees and pray. And this is because he, he observes the decrease of the saintly men. David says again, the godly man ceases. It's always true that the godly are the ones who preserve society from falling apart from certain destruction. And it's not hard to see from Scripture when we look uh, especially at uh, Lot. When we look at Lot and what was going on in his generation, it seems like uh, when, when the angels came to get him out, there was only how many that came out of Sodom and Gomorrah? Four. Lot, his wife, his two daughters. When the godly people were there, the city was preserved, but when the godly people were out of the city, all of a sudden fire and brimstone came running down upon him, and God judged that wicked city. Look at Noah. Twice as many as it was for Lot. Noah and his family, they get on board to that ark, eight, eight souls were saved. And the whole generation was drowned in this flood, God judged them for their, for their wickedness. He says, my spirit should not always strive with men. The imaginations of their heart are only evil continually, is what the Bible tells us. I think at Jerusalem, it was, it was probably worse. Ezekiel 14.20 says uh, this. He says, though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter, but they shall deliver but their own souls by their righteousness. He says, even if there were only, if, if you had Noah in here, if you had Daniel in here, if you had Job in here, I wouldn't spare the city just, just for those three. They would be saved, but not everybody else. They would be judged. How bad was it in Jerusalem? Well, there's a prophet by the name of Jeremiah. God speaks to Jeremiah, and he tells Jeremiah, he says, Run ye to and fro throughout the streets of Jerusalem, and see now, and know, and seek in the broad places thereof, if you could find a man. If there be any that executeth judgment, that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon it. We know what happens. Seventy-year captivities, not one. Jeremiah, run through the streets, see if you can find just one person. Just one person that believes there's you know, my voice, that honors my word, that exalts righteousness. Just one. And he found none. Proverbs 14, 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. That's still true today. It's a righteous person. It's the godly person. It's the man and woman of faith that preserves a society. You see, the, uh, as worse as, you know, as the, the, more, the less and less godly people you have, the more and more you recognize that God is going to judge these civilizations, these countries, these nations, these people, whoever they may be. God can't let it go on. He can't. say, wow, it's bad over in California. How many righteous people you find over there? You say, man, it's bad in New York. How many righteous people you have over there? We need to be preaching the gospel. We need to be getting the gospel out. 
Like the psalmist of old, every true believer should carry a similar concern upon his heart for those uh, who, you know, where you can't find any righteous, you can't find any faithful. Uh, we are supposed to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world, and when salt is lost in savor, it's good for nothing. Francis Schaeffer, I don't know if it's any relation to Harry Schaeffer, but Francis Schaeffer, and his book called The Church at the End of the 20th Century, says the church has not spoken nearly what God would have it to speak. It has acted as though the Christian base should be removed and it would not make any practical difference to society. But by what, what we see going on today, we see that we are in trouble. Godly men and women need to stand up and remain faithful. It's not easy to be like the three Hebrew children when even their own countrymen are standing before and they build this giant, giant image and they want everybody to bow down and they want everybody to worship and they want everybody to uh, just to fall in love with Nebuchadnezzar and, and to worship nobody else but Nebuchadnezzar and his image. I find that only three Hebrew, Hebrew children stood up. Now, I don't believe Daniel was there or else I believe he would have stood up. But it's these three Hebrew children the three Hebrew children, everybody else bowed down. They could look at everybody else, people that they knew grew up across the street from them, people that they knew who went to the same school as them, people that ought to have known the word of God as much as them. And they all bowed down. It's easy to go the way of apostasy. Paul said this, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And we see this happening all the time. Once they used to love the Word of God when it was popular, but next thing you know, when it became hard, when persecution chokes out the Word of God, you don't see them anymore. The Hebrew children were remembered, but the others were not. It's the people who stand who make a difference. Though men be silent, David could cry, Help, Lord! Because our Lord, our God, shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. I believe it's Psalm 51, Psalm 50 or 51 that that comes out of. He sees the increase of sinful men. Not just a decrease of the, of the godly men, but the increase of the sinful men. He says, they speak vanity, every one with his neighbor and flattering lips, and with a double heart do they speak, who have said, with our tongue will we prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? How bold. How bold do you have to be to say that? The psalmist links together the social trend and the world in which he's living along with this uh, strong speech. Just as goes the moral, so goes the speech along with it. The character of a man is inevitably revealed by his words. Jesus says this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You want to know why so many people are loose with their tongue? It's because of evil in their hearts. And so we learn much about the human heart as we examine what flows out of the mouth. Uh, we see the vast difference between men's words and God's words. Uh, men's words are the weapons of the wicked. But God's words are the safety of the saints. Men's words are worthless, but God's words are weighty. Men's words are flattering, false, and fanatical. God's words are pure, pure proven, and preserved. Men's words ensnare and slay men. God's words enlighten and save men. 
Men's words damn and deceive men. God's words deliver, direct, and delight men. It's incredible. Uh, three mistakes that the, that the wicked you find there in that text in verse 4, when he begins to talk very boldly, they, they make three mistakes. Number one, uh, the tongue of the wicked should never prevail. They can speak loosely, like a loose cannon all they want to, but they're not going to prevail. Their lips are not their own. God is the one who made us. And yet we usually say, James says it over in James chapter 3, he says, with the same mouth, you, you, you bless God and you curse men. The tongue's an unruly fire. Their lips are not their own. They're meant to bless God. And they're not their own masters. God is ruler over us. Notice the confidence, again, the confidence of David in verse 3. The Lord should cut off all flattering lips. That's the faith of the saints there. The Lord should cut off all flattering lips. That's what they're trusting in. That's what the Lord is going to do. That's what uh, the hope of the people of God, that's the prayer of the righteous when they stand against the evil generation, prevailing in prayer and standing in faith as a testimony to the grace of God and the power of God as they try to be a light in a dark world. There's always been scoffers in every age. It wasn't just in the times of Peter when, when, when he begins to talk about the, in the latter days, there's going to be scoffers. Yeah, yeah, Peter, we heard all about the Lord's coming. Go tell somebody else about it. This is when, as it was in the days of Noah. <laughs> dark times have brought it apostasy. But in the dark times, Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. It says in the book of Jude that he prophesied that the Lord's going to come back and take vengeance on all them that uh, uh, try to rise up against God, and he's going to come with ten thousands of his saints. But Enoch walked with God in a dark day. Noah built an ark and saved his household while the surrounding world was mocking and ridiculing God. God's not going to judge us. We've never seen rain. It's not going to happen. Abraham had his eyes on the city whose builder and maker is God while the world was living for the moment. Moses chose rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy pleasures and sin for a season. Elijah stood alone against 850 false prophets. Jeremiah wept alone over the sins of his people. John the Baptist was beheaded for preaching against adultery. Paul was beheaded for preaching Christ crucified. Saying that there is, they accuse him and say, there is another king, King Jesus. Guess what? Jesus is king. King of kings and Lord of lords. And one day every, every, every tongue will confess. And every knee will bow. And all through the word of God and history of the saints, uh, there were men that stood for God and suffered persecution. Account. Yea, and all that will live godly in this present world shall suffer persecution. It's just going to happen. The French philosopher Voltaire, he was a deist, but he vehemently opposed Christianity and the Word of God. He didn't like it. I don't know how you'd be a deist and oppose Christianity, oppose the Word of God, but this is the kind of man that he was. Just, you know, mocking, mocking God. But he once declared a hundred years from my death there would not be a Bible on earth except the one that's locked, looked upon by an antiquarian curiosity seeker. 
Voltaire died in 1778, and in God's irony, the very house in which he once lived, it became the, uh, a place where the, the, the Evangelical Society of Geneva uh, began to be the storehouse of Bibles and tracts and became the printing press where they print Bibles upon Bibles and send them out to the uttermost parts of the earth in Voltaire's house who says, you know that Bible, that Bible is just going to be locked up in a museum somewhere. Nobody's going to know about it. It's not going to, it's not going to prevail in that very house. Where Voltaire spoke those words was the greatest printing press, was a storehouse of Bibles and tracts for his their day. God is sovereign that he will have the last word. Peter said in his first epistle, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers. They may be ashamed to falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ, for it's better uh, if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. You know what? It may seem like a harsh statement, but if people go to hell, may they go to hell over our dead bodies and hear our cries and our pleadings, and speaking about the grace of God from our lips, to flee from the wrath to come, because they have no idea what it's like. Hell is not a party. It's not a party. But somebody's got to tell them. Somebody's got to speak the truth. Somebody's got to stand up for what's right. May they hear our pleadings to go to the Savior. Let's move on now. David was aware that God was always, has always intervened in judgment. When the cup of iniquity was full to the brim, there was a flood in the days of Noah. There was a baptism of fire in the days of Lot. There was a lot of other things that happened, these personalized judgments. We think about Egypt. We think about Nebuchadnezzar, how seven years he was humbled as a beast of the field. We think about... Um, uh, even Al Alexander the Great and others that have happened along the way and how God has judged these individuals. Uh, Antioch Epiphanes and others along the way, Nero, uh, all these, God has visited in personal judgment. And he will not be taken advantage of. In this psalm, David gives three reasons. Three reasons why God must intervene. Because God hates the sin of rebellion. The Bible says, God resisted the proud, but he giveth grace unto the humble. It's the humble that he's going to lift up. It's the humble that he stands by. It's the humble that he draws near to. It's the godly man that he hears. It's the godly man. Well, he loves the whole world, but it's the godly man that he stands with to show himself strong on behalf of those who love him. Whether he deals with such sin individually, socially, or nationally, it's entirely up to him, but he will judge sin. And when the Lord will arise for a man, it's like it says in verse 5, when the Lord will arise for any man, we recognize that the victory is already won. It says, Now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. The victory is already won. But when the Lord stands against a man, the battle's lost. 
He hears the sigh of the oppression, and sometimes we wonder. I think about David here as he's crying out, and as he, he not only catches every tear in the bottle, not only does he hear, just like he told Moses, he says, I've heard the cry of their afflictions, but he also hears the sigh of the oppressed. He's of tender compassion, of pity. He loves his children, and, and even when we are anguished deep down within our hearts, God hears he knows our thoughts. He knows our, our thoughts are far off. He knows our uh, upset, you know, our, when we rise up and when we lay down. He knows all about it. He knows all about what we go through. He knows what we're faced with on a day-to-day basis. But how comforting are the words, I will arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that will ensnare, would ensnare him. And if we ask why God waits an intervention, all we can say is what Peter says in his second epistle to the Lord. It's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but his long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then he honors the song of devotion where they recognize this, these words, the words of the Lord. As he clings to the promises of God, as you see that it's... That, not only are they pure, not only are they powerful, but they are also preserved. The words of the Lord are pure words of silver, tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, and thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And some people are just, I, I, I try to refrain from anything, getting into Bible issues, but I'll, I'll one day you'll hear me soon uh, tell you the reason why we hold to the King James Version position. You know, for the, for the inspiration, God says, you know, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. He's the one who give us, gives us His Word. The preservation of His Word. And just as it was given to Moses, just as it was given to uh, the Israelites all the way down and handed down and kept all the way through. The words of Paul that they have kept within the church and read them and preserved them. We may not have the original copies of, of the original thing that Paul written with his own hand, but we do have the words of God. I'm, to, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to go into all that. That's for another time, but I'm telling you, uh, there's three things that are very important here that tr- is tried to lift up and an encouragement out of the text. One is the godly men need to stand up. Two, God will preserve his word. And three, God's going to work. He will rain down judgment. He will stand true. They that know their God shall do exploits, as Daniel said. But that's why the writer of the book of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. The unbeliever may reject God's word, and they do. The rationalist may deny it and say, well, you know, he's... You, you don't understand. Again, you know, it's, when you go back to the Bible, that's, that's something that you got to beware of because you get all these different translations and they have this dynamic equivalency and they try to write it thought for thought inspiration. So we'll give you the thoughts of God. We don't, we need the words of God. And he promised us the very words of God. Forever, O Lord, they are settled in heaven. But again, I say that for another time, okay? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, The grass withered, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. 
His word will prevail. It's by the gospel that men will be judged. That's what Paul says over the book of Romans. The word of our God should stand forever. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 through 25, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth of the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruption. By the word of God, over in Psalm 19, we'll get to this soon, but uh, it's by the word of the, words, the words of the Lord are sure words. These words bring men unto salvation. As he told Timothy over in 2 Timothy, thou hast known the scriptures from a child. They were able to bring you unto salvation when you recognize who, what sin is, who the Savior is, and what He's come to do. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of men is flower of grass. The grass, whether the flower fadeth, uh, thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which the gospel is preached unto you. David could look on in this day of decline and say, what are we going to do? Lord, help, Lord. Help, Lord. But you know what? The Lord could help David be a witness, and he did. He was exalted to the kingdom because he was faithful to God. It was the Lord who set him up and established him and gave him that sure, uh, the sure mercies of David. It reinstated worship into the land. It's unbelievable what God can do through us if we just let Him. But I look at here and I look at the text and I see that we don't have anything to worry about and be upset about. But we do need to recognize this. We do need to stand up. And we do need to let our voices be heard. You know, we hear it every, every election time, you know, November uh, 8th or whenever it is. Let your voice be heard. Show up at the voting booth. Vote. But you can let your voice be heard 365 days a year. Stand up. We need some godly men who will stand up. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray. Pray that you just help us to be faithful to your word. Lord, you've been so good to us. So faithful. You want to show yourself strong on our behalf. Well, let us be godly men who stand up for what's right. May you help us to have a voice. Tender hearts, but also with a backbone. Lord, may we give you glory. And thank you for the men and women here, the children here tonight. And may you let this message resonate in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hope this